0: Hello there. You're listening to The Box Office Show. I'm Ryan Hill. And I'm Dylan Johnson. Today we're going to be talking about the box office numbers from last weekend and our box office predictions for this upcoming weekend.
1: We will also be discussing Ari Aster's newest film, A Fittingly Weird and Dark Odyssey by the name of Bo Is Afraid. Let's start out with some news, and we have some major shakeups in the industry. Huge news. The writers' strike has gone into full effect. The members of the WGA, Writers Guild of America, are going on strike for the first time since 2007 to 2008 when that strike occurred, and it's because the deadline, which was May 1st, at like midnight, the... Negotiating Parties, WGA, and the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, AMPTP, which is basically just the studios, all the major studios. They did not come to an agreement that was satisfactory for the writers. So they decided to go on strike, which means that any project which has a member of the WGA attached is no longer moving forward, at least if it's in the writing stage projects that are already in production are able to continue but anything that's in development has been paused at the moment that's where every film every tv series all that stuff has grinded to a halt as the writers are on strike and the reason they're on strike is because they are asking for better pay due to less residuals that are coming out of the streaming era there's also far lower episode counts. I think back to like the 07, 08 days when it was uh, broadcast and network TV. You had 22 episodes to a season. Now it's 10, maybe even eight. Like it's already shrinking even further in the streaming area per era. So there's less episodes. So less opportunity to get your name on an episode and um, get money from that. And there are these other little devious tricks played by the studios mostly the streamers that they make many rooms which again reduces the amount of writers that are actually working on a project and they have these things like pre-writers rooms basically where they'll bring in a bunch of writers to break a story but none of them actually go on to write for the series it just gets passed off to um, the showrunner the main writer who's part of that room and then he's or she is followed up by uh, that mini room. So you can work on a project, essentially figure it all out, that you're not paid as a writer, or you're allowed Mm -hmm. to actually write any scripts for the episodes in that series. So all of that has made it more difficult for writers to make a living. Um, And then they also want just more transparency from the streamers about how successful shows are doing, what the ratings are, all that stuff. Of course like normal network tv that is very apparent but the streamers are notoriously tight-lipped about that so writers want to have a better understanding of how their shows are doing and then the ai factor chat gpt which of course these past few months has been huge uh, major topic of discussion and growing concern about how that will impact i mean pretty much every industry But as well as the creative um, arts and writing is not separate from that. So they are looking for protection Mm -hmm. against AI uh, tools being used to write like first drafts and then writers being brought on to rewrite, which, of course, is at like a lower pay scale if you're rewriting a project versus writing it. Uh, And then as well as writing something and then studios will come in with AI to rewrite it which again, cuts out a writer from coming in and doing work and being paid for it. Um, but then yeah, it's just threatens the whole, I mean, creative art in general of writing. If you are able to bring in these AI tools to do it, and obviously you don't have to pay those um, AI tools. So a lot of stuff going on with this writer strike, huge, huge turning point for the industry. What are your thoughts on this Dylan?
0: I am pro writer strike. I'm I mean, very of course, yeah. We yeah. are.
1: Very I've seen a lot pro
0: of strike. Yeah, I've seen a lot of clips of uh, writers talking about the the pay wages of a lot of the big producers and CEOs of these streaming companies and of the production companies like Warner Bros, mm-hmm. and how much money these people make compared to writers who are you know not able to pick up jobs because of lack of jobs nowadays, who are not able to uh, afford a a living wage with the jobs that they get and, you know, they have to live on the streets. They're not in good living conditions. So as hopefully a future writer, uh, I'm hoping that this is a turning point for the writing community that will pave a better future for people like you and I, Ryan.
1: Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Yeah. It's just, it's wild. It's the first strike since 2007 to 2008. Mm -hmm. Of course that was another major turning point since I was right before streaming really kicked into high gear and so that was one of the uh, points of contention for those negotiations but yeah there's all this talk about like the impact of the 07 08 strike like there are a handful of stories of how it affected things like with breaking bad for instance the whole thing about jesse yep I was which just I, to say. <laughs> yeah i'm still not entirely sure that that was 100 percent like what happened um, I well, think it I just think gets, like, I think they gave them time like, to, to give them the idea to keep yeah. it going because, like you know, they were, they had the
0: set in stone plan to kill him off, but then they're like, "He's charismatic, we like him." Yeah, and then that the was like
1: something I think for sure they, as they were filming it, they're like, "Okay, maybe we can reconsider," but then certainly because they lost a couple episodes, right? Like season mm-hmm. one is shorter than all the others, for sure. That definitely allowed them to be like, "Okay, yeah, we're not going to go through with killing Jesse," um, but then yeah, a bunch of other. Shows were impacted, like so many uh, seasons of shows were cut short during that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also shows like Heroes are often credited. Uh, it's like Downturn, the loss in quality being credited to The writer Strike, um, Reality TV, although it was already around, that strike being credited with a boon in the reality TVs and studios are trying to fill it with content that doesn't need to be worked on by writers so yeah definitely changed the landscape so this one I'm wondering what far-reaching effects we will see of course like I said I mean all those projects are already halted so we're gonna see um, like certainly in the network tv realm come this fall like that stuff is most likely gonna be delayed if the strike carries through the summer Um, and then as well films being delayed So ones that are in development, things that are going to come out like late 2024, early 2025, like all that stuff is on pause at the moment. Mm -hmm. So you will see how that um, is affected. But it is a much different landscape for this strike than the one in the late 2000s. First of all, there's all the streaming content out there that is easily accessible to everyone. So in terms of like noticing the effect of the strike it was much more apparent in 07 and 08 when everyone didn't have at their fingertips five to eight streaming services that they can watch this huge backlog of content on. Mm -hmm. So that's going to hold people over. And some people may not ever even notice that certain shows are not coming back the time they're supposed to. Um, Because we're also in the era where, I mean, most huge blockbuster shows take two years to get a new season out rather than it, you see it at the end of spring and then it comes back in fall that very same year like there could definitely be people that just never even feel the effects of the strike um because they're just watching the streaming content and they're not really up to date on like when the newest release is supposed to come out mm-hmm. there's also all these other alternative entertainment sources youtube of course was not it was there but it wasn't as massive as it is now back in 07 and 08 and then plus there's all of these other like social media platforms and things like TikTok that people can just endlessly scroll through. So that can also hold people over as they're waiting for the new shows to come back and for the writers strike to end. And then, of course, there's that uh, dilemma of AI slash chat GPT. Will some studios, because right now there is no official like limits on that. Of course, it's what the writers are asking for to make sure that like that can't be used for any projects that WGA writers are on, but for the moment where there is no deal around that, are we gonna see studios try and fill the void and utilize some of these AI technologies to write some scripts? That could be another thing uh, that we see happen. So it's a very different landscape for the strike, Mm. which does make it a bit tougher for the writers because there isn't gonna be as much obvious pressure because yeah, just the backlog of streaming, all these other alternative platforms, it may be more difficult for like the average everyday citizen to be affected by the strike, and then be pushing for you know the writers to get um, what they are due, what they deserved, so that the strike can end and the negotiations can finally reach a conclusion that is satisfactory for the writers. So we'll have to see if that causes us to be a very lengthy strike. I'm hoping not. I'm hoping. The writers can, you know, get what they want sooner rather than later. But it is a bit, you know, frightening to see because obviously they're not working at this time. Like the whole point of the strike is you're not going to be able to work at all. Um, and so we already know, I mean, part of what the issues were was the lack of pay and financial security. So it'll be really tough as this strike is drawn out to see what the effect will be on the writers who no longer have that source of income. So mm-hmm. very interesting times in Hollywood at the moment. Indeed. But yeah, as we said on the show, we are pro WGA, pro strike, pro union. So hopefully yep. I can come to an end sooner rather than later and the WGA can get all of what they're asking for because it's very reasonable stuff. So Absolutely.
0: The only other piece of news we have is following our CinemaCon episode last week, we finally got the release of the Dune Part 2 trailer. Ryan, did you watch it?
1: Oh, you know it. I sure did. Were you able to watch it?
0: I'm avoiding it until I'm forced to watch it because I figure it's probably ahead of like Guardians 3 or something or maybe another movie coming out soon. I'll see it in theaters at some point, but I'm going to try and avoid it as much as possible because I want to savor that moment.
1: Nice. Yeah, I... Dig it. There's some interesting things that happen. I guess I won't spoil it for you. Um, it is interesting that they put it in the trailer, but I guess they do want a nice hook to bring people in, and it is exciting. Um but yeah, it wasn't quite as like amazing and rewatchable to me as the very first Dune trailer. Oh yeah. But I mean it does its job. I am I'm a Dune believer. (laughs) as you all might remember from my from the Dune roundtable. Of course. So I am excited for Dune Part 2. Um, yeah, it's a solid trailer. Glad to be revisiting the world of Arrakis.
0: Arrakis. Now let's do our box office breakdown for the underwhelming weekend of April 28th to, the, to April 30th, coming in first place, unsurprisingly yet again, Super Mario Bros., $40 million for the weekend, and officially crossing... The $1 billion mark
1: worldwide. Shout Beautiful. out to Nintendo. They've done it. Beautiful. You love to see it. Just fantastic. So yeah, once again, hugely successful. We knew it had the potential to be big, but I mean, yeah, it is now crossed a billion. Maybe one of the only films this year that's going to cross a billion. Again, it's still likely that Mario will take the crown overall for the year in terms of box office so yeah amazing work by nintendo illumination everyone involved Mm -hmm. mario's huge mario's massive and evil dead rise in its second weekend got 12 million
0: yep following that are you there god it's me margaret a surprisingly low 6.7 million what were our predictions last weekend ryan
1: they're very high at least like 10 million over that yeah, But I guess the fan base was not there to rush out to theaters. So, Very so. I def- we'll have to see if it's able to have solid legs, like mm-hmm. Where the Crawdad Sings. I mean, that one did have a higher opening, but it also had really impressive legs. So I guess we'll see. Maybe people just weren't rushing out to see this right away in it's opening weekend. I'm not sure. But yeah, definitely a disappointing debut for that film. And coming in fourth place, Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi with 5.1 million for its 40th anniversary. It was back in theaters Mm -hmm. and made the top five. Look at that. I almost went and saw
0: this the other day because I saw it was back in theaters. But then I decided against it
1: because I wanted to get some sleep. (laughs) Yeah, I also would have loved to go and see it, but sadly it was it was like playing last weekend rather than yeah. this weekend yeah. and then there were showings on like may the 4th but it was unfortunate because yeah i was very much busy yeah. um this past week. if it was so a it new wasn't... hope
0: if it had been a new hope instead of return of the jedi i probably would have gone because i've never seen a new hope in theaters and that's my favorite
1: oh yeah i've never seen any of the ot in theaters i guess neither so it made me yeah. sad You're that right. i was able to miss that but yeah it'll be really cool one day to be able to have that experience yeah
0: after star wars episode 6 was john wick chapter 4 it made 4.8 million over the past weekend and it brought its
1: worldwide total to 400 million slam dunk for mm-hmm. keanu reeves indeed highest of the franchise going out on a high there you go dungeons and dragons honor among thieves with 4.1 million air the michael jordan biopic the the shoemakers biopic for michael jordan was four million this next one panion selvin part two 3.8 million the covenant 3.5 million and sisu with 3.3 3 million rounding out the
0: top 10 surprisingly low i'm really upset about that everything's a little bit surprisingly low this this weekend
1: yeah i mean some of the good holdovers like wick and D D, like they did pretty solid yeah sure um but yeah some of the debuts the debuts were not debuts. quite yeah you know, where we expected them to be yeah but hey like all 10 films are over three million so fair very much part. i mean that is a good sign but yeah some Always. of these were not at the level that we thought they would get to but yeah let's see for this upcoming weekend may 5th to the 7th how the newest film that is going to hit the marketplace will do it is a big one film in my roster Mm -hmm. guardians of the galaxy volume three another marvel film coming out of course marvel not doing so hot it's definitely the weakest it's been ever since it started in 08 so i have to see if the mcu is going to have a big hit on its hands or if this one will disappoint like ant-man before it Volume 1, back in 2014, had a $94 million opening. Volume 2 in 2017 had $146 million. Dylan, where do you think the third volume will land in its opening weekend? It's tough to say
0: because we're already halfway through the weekend and I could just look it up. So easy to say. <laughs> I know. Well, it's tough to say because I want to guess. But you know uh, the okay. answer because I know you've looked it up. Like, I know you know the numbers.
1: Right. I mean, I don't look them up. I just see them on my feed. They can Whoa. Up. Wait, where do you go on? Because like, the feed, algorithm like, knows that my... Uh, feed on my what? like, thing? What? What? It's just my news thing. My, if I go to my Google thing and then there's this... I don't know what it's called. It's just like a symbol. Oh, yeah. Check out Discover. It always pops up because it curates it for you. So, it always brings up film-related stuff. Oh. So, I just see like deadlines am slash pm they do like through the weekend they'll do friday am pm saturday am pm updates so i wish i had like an app that brought me news that i i cared about like would filter
0: it for news that i care about because i have i have imdb which gives me movie news when i go into the app and scroll all the way down and find the news section and then i have like twitter that i just deleted off my phone because i never use it anyway mm -hmm. so i wish i had like a like an actual news app that i trusted maybe like the washington post or something. i don't i don't fucking know But if I had to guess,
1: I'm going to go 160. So it does show that you are not up to date with the numbers on what came out. Yeah, it's not going to get 160. Not going to get anywhere close to volume two. It got 47 million from Friday. That's including the Thursday preview numbers. Sure. So with that. Do you want to recalibrate your guess, maybe? I'm going to go... 110? A much more reasonable thing. Yeah, I think it's going to hit around that area. Yeah. I th- Still a oh, good opening. It is, yeah, a solid opening. I mean, it's more than Ant-Man, which is necessary. It's more than the first Guardians of the Galaxy. It's over 100 million, so yeah, that's all good. But certainly not hitting... But You would have expected like back in 2017, you see 146 million opening. You're thinking, wow, when the third and final film in the trilogy comes out, it's gonna do even better. But they just waited too long, yeah. I mean, which was, yeah, side effects everything from gun getting like temporarily fired to the pandemic to all the other MCU stuff that they needed to crank out. So, yeah, Yeah, this was like honestly the earliest it could have gotten out, but yeah, it was quite a while since the most recent entry but yeah i'm thinking 117 million i'm hoping it'll be able to get there with good word of mouth um but yeah you shall see this upcoming week but for the very first selection in the draft not the most dominant performance that you would expect yeah a little unfortunate but hey it'll do solid i'm sure
0: yep Now let's talk about our main subject for today. Ari Aster's third feature, his follow-up to Hereditary Midsommar. Bo is Afraid. The movie stars Joaquin Phoenix, Patty LuPone, Nathan Lane, Amy Ryan, Parker Posey, and then a whole other cast of side characters. Ryan, what is your initial impression from having, what did you watch yesterday? Yes. Having watched it yesterday, what are your initial impressions? Like, spoiler free, spoiler free.
1: Yeah, spoiler free, Bo is Afraid, and I am Confused that is my official thoughts on this what can only be described as a mommy issues odyssey Mm -hmm. is very fascinating very creative like he's a great uh visual storyteller in the sense that he'll just create like these very compelling images and Mm. he's also really good at being able to i mean he comes from that horror background so he's able to invoke those feelings of unease and discomfort really well. So it's a very competently made film. Mm -hmm. He is obviously, yeah, he's got a a hold on his craft, for sure. The story overall, I don't know how much it actually connected with me. Mm -hmm. It did feel like we're bleeding into the things of just these tangents that are weird, but they're happening because they're weird and not necessarily because they're servicing whatever the larger themes are, which again, I mean, that part is like very apparent. It's, you'd be hard pressed not to know that like, okay, Bo is suffering from anxiety and like all this stuff is heightened around him. And also, yeah, his mom's way of raising him has affected him very deeply. Um, and so, yeah, he's just trying to work through those issues and being pulled in all these different directions. Um, but I'm not sure that Everything that was being shown, like there were like these four major different segments. Some of them were extremely compelling, really well done and were effective for me. But then others, I definitely felt myself disengaging. And I think, yeah, your mileage may vary for this one. For me, Mm -hmm. I can respect parts of it. But overall, I don't think it landed for me. But what about you? What are your initial impressions?
0: I think I was probably definitely more intrigued and engaged than you were. I was for sure, like, from the get-go, pretty plugged into the character's journey. And I think it's definitely, compared to his other two movies, the most uh, metaphorical and loose out of them. Like, it's very... It's very much about servicing the theme and the idea he's trying to get across as opposed to servicing whatever story there is. So that story does take a backseat, which I think is a negative because if he could do both at the same time, it would make it more effective. Mm-hmm. However, I see what he's trying to get at, and I see what he's trying to do, and a lot of it to me is effective, and I enjoyed watching it a lot. And I think it worked for me. I think my biggest critiques is it probably could have been a half hour shorter if oh, you really for sure. and, and cut stuff down. so it could have been shorter and a little bit tighter. And I think there's probably like a way to all the way back in the writing stage to where you probably could have just weaved in a bit more of like a real story for the character to follow that's a little bit stronger so that the themes you're trying to hit make a little more sense. However, I am a fan of stylism, as you know, mm-hmm. and this movie hits those strides very well in a way that I highly engaged with. And I was definitely not ever like falling out of it or falling bored, um, except for maybe like a bit here or there, but not much of it. And so i had a good time i liked it i was constantly confused is correct and i saw a review i saw a review because i went into the reviews on imdb and i scrolled all the way down because i was like what does the person who hates it the most say about it because it's lower than the rest of his movies i want to know what the the person who hates it the most says. and it was like a 25 out of 100 like it was an incredibly low low score and the thing that it says and i'll read it to you now it says, Bo is Afraid relies on subverting expectations so frequently that its twists become predictable if not rote. And I, as I'm watching the movie, I'm thinking, I don't know how this person is watching this thinking it's predictable. It is, It is very much changing constantly in a way that is very confusing and always surprising me, which is pleasant for me, I think. So I enjoyed it, just not... I suppose as much as his earlier movies because of how strong the story is in both of those. But I still liked what he was going for. I liked the idea he had and I liked the follow through that he had for it. I wish it had been a bit like stronger and like
1: a little bit tighter. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. It being 3 hours, I don't see the um the necessity there. Yeah. I think a lot of the stuff could have been trimmed down and still would have been just as because again it's not like for plot reasons or in order to make a coherent story that we need the three hours it's mostly just like indulging in more of these like very interesting stylistic choices that he's making but some of those are like icing on the cake but they're not like essential yeah they're not those essential ingredients so i i do wish it would have been trimmed down because i felt myself (laughs) multiple times this never good in a movie when you're like okay Finally, this is the end. Like, we're close. And then you realize, oh no, another segment has just begun. And then you're like, oh, geez, now we're still locked in. Like, that happened multiple times. Like, I was getting ready, like, when they, we're going to start veering into spoiler territory now. So, if you haven't seen it, go ahead and give it a watch. Mm. It's definitely, I think, just worth watching just to see. Cause one thing I will say as well, like, even though it ultimately didn't connect with me and I'm not too fond of it, it's far better to, not like a film because it's just too far out there and too weird and too caught up in its own creative tendencies that sort of gets weighed down by it at the end Mm -hmm. of the day that is far preferable to just an average boring film that has no flair no style no like creative distinctly creative vision like you can't say that this is
0: you can still find fun with it even if you're not engaged you know even if it doesn't connect with you there's still something there to to watch that is entertaining and some value and also like it's worth the one watch
1: because of that shock and awe of like the weirdness of it Mm -hmm. yeah just because it is so creative and unique and out there yeah i think it yeah it is admirable in that respect um and yeah Mm -hmm. we just we definitely need more stories more films that are taking these huge swings like this one? Yeah, it I appreciate A twenty four for really backing this. Yeah, I was this about to is, say that.
0: This is definitely million like, budget. Yeah, looking at it, that's a that's a good budget too. That is a, a like a medium budget, medium sized budget. There's not a lot of those movies anymore, like medium sized budgets. And I'm glad that they are willing to put that money down for this movie, even though uh, it's only doing like moderately well. I, I like I hope it makes its money back because we need more moderately budgeted movies. To be creative like this and to really go for it like this. That's true. If not for if not for the effect it has, but for the the sheer entertainment of what you're watching, of something new, something original, something crazy.
1: Mm-hmm. But yeah, it definitely won't make back its money, as you yeah, noticed in our not box office great. breakdown. It wasn't in the top ten, so I know it's not doing great. However, I'm sure it will have a long shelf life of being rediscovered and becoming a cult classic in a way. So it'll last. Yeah, it'll stick around in the conversation, especially among film people. But and yeah, this is like something H24 can definitely do. It's probably an investment in Ari Aster more than just I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure just the, the film next itself. movie that Ari Aster makes will probably be more straightforward, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Much, much similar to his first two. Indeed. But all right, let's start talking about some of the specifics in the film. Yeah. Dude, the dick. Okay, the, right to
0: yeah. it. <laughs> it's the, the thing monster. I've wanted to talk to somebody about it since I saw it. <laughs> the giant fucking cock. Yeah. That was crazy. That was insane. It what sure a, was. <laughs> and I kept, as I was watching the rest of the movie, I kept going back and forth on whether or not I like liked that decision of like it just being a giant penis is his father. And mm-hmm. ultimately, I think it's just so funny that I do like it because because she pulls him down and she goes that was your father and everybody in the theater laughed it was
1: so funny yeah i think good. again it's one of those like wild out there decisions but i'm like just go for it like everything else has been so weird and crazy yeah. why not just have a massive penis monster did you laugh when you saw the thing um no i mean i was like amused seeing it but i didn't like have an actual vocal i to, like, thought it laugh. was so funny because it's it's it's
0: a very scary scene initially and you're very scared to see what is up there in this attic that has been teased the whole movie and it's just a giant dick <laughs> when i oh one of the things i had seen before i went and saw the movie is that ari Aster described it as a movie about a guy who just needs to come and, <laughs> and i and as i'm watching it i'm like i don't really see how that makes any sense and then the more i watch it i'm like oh he just needs to come this whole thing is about him needing to come and then he finally gets to come at the end of the movie
1: (laughs) it's so funny i really liked it yeah i thought that part we'll get to that that whole part of like the, the needing to come and then how that ends up going down um but yeah a lot of um a lot of phallic imagery throughout the film oh yeah uh, a lot of swollen oh, oversized his um, fucking nuts yeah. were
0: huge that's just a crazy.
1: filled with cum but was that i was like is that part of what they're trying to say they're like it's just i think it's so much it's deformity. Cum I, mean. I think it's his deformity from having yeah, to because is for a father right because, yeah, they said that that one, uh like the Nathan Lane character was saying that he had some issue down there. And then even in the very opening of the film, when it was like him getting born, like the very end of that before it goes to the uh credit scene, there was like a, a nod to that thing. So, I don't know. Pretty interesting how, yeah, I guess that idea of him needing to come and having swollen balls. But then also the, the deformity thing. So, it's like what. What is true about it? How much of that was just the metaphorical idea of like him needing to have a release? Who knows? That's what we'll be trying to dissect here. Those giant balls. <laughs> but yeah, seems like that was a fun time for the prosthetic team. <laughs> crazy, crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. I think the most effective segment of the film was the first one of him and that like dystopian so? cityscape. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I've seen been described as like, this is the nightmare. They try to sell you on Fox news about inner cities. Like just all the worst possible things happening. Like people going around stabbing an endless amount of people. The birthday Everyone boy to get you. man. Exactly. That was so funny on the news. I didn't think oh, that was funny. God. There were a couple of times because it what it is a film that does have a lot of comedy in it. So to laugh. To ask me. There were only a few times that I laughed, but I did notice I was like, yeah, there's an obvious like comedic undertone here to all this stuff, which I do do think helps make all the other very disturbing like imagery and subject matter much more palatable. Mm-hmm. But yeah, for me it wasn't like landing too much on all those laughs again, I think they were like, Twat, two times that i chuckled one was the birthday boy happy man uh and then the other was when he vomited on the laptop and then she comes <laughs> in and he like hits the whole desk that part was very funny um but yeah those are only moments that like i remember being like okay like that was a genuinely funny thing all the other ones i acknowledged like yes there was something amusing that was said there or mm-hmm. went for a laugh there but it just didn't connect for me and also my theater that i was in it was, there were also not many laughs at all. How many people were in your theater? I had a full theater. Really? So it That's was
0: a full, let me, let me rephrase. It was a five row theater. So it was a very small theater. Okay. <laughs> it was a five row theater and the back three rows were entirely filled. And I had to buy a seat in the second row instead of alone in that row. And then gotcha. the front row was also empty. So it was, it was a half full theater, I should say. But behind me, every seat was filled.
1: Gotcha. I had maybe nine people in my theater including me so mm. yeah not quite as many opportunities i guess for people to get engaged and yeah it was definitely a better be
0: experience watching with like a, a larger group of people where the funnier
1: moments we could all laugh mm-hmm. i'm sure i'm sure but yeah the um the nightmare city i thought this moment was just really effective in mm-hmm. building up the tension, getting you in Bo's perspective of every little thing being a cause for anxiety or fear oh yeah so i love the
0: the opening where he's walking through the initial city and it's not like that bad and then you have the guy who's like thinking about jumping and you get
1: really close up on the phone focusing on it like you think he's gonna jump and then it just cuts i was wondering that too i was like this man ass, he likes having people from high places possibly about he, to jump it's that idea of like building up that tension and not letting it
0: release because he mm-hmm. wants to come oh my god <laughs> everything fits i'm telling yeah. you everything builds back to that just desire of building tension and
1: not releasing mm-hmm. <laughs> that's funny He's um so good but yeah i also yeah he does a great job of like transitioning from that to when we see the city block of like dead bodies there and all these just like junkies and homeless folk walking around And then he's, we see Bo just sprinting, full on sprinting back to his house. I thought that was really good. Um, But yeah, that whole, like all that moment of like those people down on the street that he's very wary of. And especially with the whole, like, we know there's the serial stabber that's Mm -hmm. out there. Yeah. You know, at least that one tattooed guy seemed like he was trying to jump Bo. And then all those other people that you just are unstable it seems like mm-hmm. and you don't know what they're gonna do so they're kind of a danger yeah the whole spider thing the brown recluse being in there perfect which i was like oh boy that one they hit the arachnophobia hardcore on that one i was yeah. like oh boy this is this is gonna come back around at some point we don't know when and i thought the payoff to that was spectacular um but yeah just all of that stuff i thought it was really well done and the way it all built on each other um, like him needing to get water for the pills, but then having to go across the street in order to do it, not having his keys, so he needs to leave the thing open and all the homeless people going in. Like all that stuff I thought was really well done. It was the part of it that was the least surreal and least um just like mm-hmm. abstract. So I think in that sense it being much more grounded and much more clearly relating to his anxieties and his fears, I think was the most just like straightforward and therefore it was just about like, let's just ramp up the tension as much as possible. Let's get the audience into his state of mind with his fears. And I think it was the part that just connected the most with me. How did you feel about this segment? I loved it. I love the idea of it being like just building up
0: all this anxiety in him. And then it plays off in the craziest way possible so that when he has the phone call to his mother where he has to explain to her why he can't make it, he sounds like a crazy person. So like, it, it makes him sound like everything he's saying is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I, I try, I was scared. I couldn't find the keys or people broke into my house. Wait, what was it? It was, it was, I woke up late because my neighbor thought I was playing music, but I, I wasn't playing music. I swear. And then I went, and I left the keys in the door and I ran back inside. And when I went back, the keys weren't there. And now I, I just don't know what to do. What do I do? What do I do? Like this idea of like, he's just, everything we've seen everything happen and so we know he's telling the truth but it just doesn't sound like it when he's saying it because it's so unbelievable Mm -hmm. and i love that about it and then from that point we get to him and he he just has to deal with like all these people in his apartment and he's going crazy he's like stir crazy from it he has the argument with the dude at the gas station who's blaming him for not having enough coins it's just everybody's like getting mad at him constantly and so it's making his anxiety even worse and then Mm -hmm. he and then oh my god the phone call with the UPS guy, who ends up being Bill Hader, is the funniest <laughs> thing in the world to me. The idea of Bill Hader's character being like, "I, I just, I, that's why I walked in. That's why I walked in is because I, because I saw dogs and I went inside. She doesn't have a head, and it's, it's very scary to see. Uh, what well, you might have the wrong number. You might have the wrong number. Just hang up and and call back. It might be the wrong number. And he he puts the phone down, and he hangs up, and he looks at it, and he redials. He puts the phone to his ear and Bill Hader goes, I'm sorry, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm
1: sorry, man. Dude, that got a laugh out of the theater. We all thought it was very funny. Yeah. No laughs for my theater on that part, but that I did sucks. think I was like, I mean, yeah, what were they expecting? I thought it was smart as well of them to just, as he's bringing the phone down, like the caller ID very clearly, his mom, he hangs up and then he clicks the same thing. Yeah. So it's like, we all knew it was yeah, about that to fuck? happen yeah. there. But the fact that the UBS guy, just like just try it maybe you redialed. maybe or maybe you dialed incorrectly just redial it mm-hmm. and then yeah inevitably it was the correct number and his mom apparently smashed by a chandelier so once again ariaster with decapitation apparently he, he loves, loves dismembering people i mean we don't see it on screen this time but yeah even just i don't blame screen, him though
0: kind of cool cool the I idea of like of like <laughs> how shocking is it like if you got a phone call and was like ryan i have to tell you something dylan passed away and you go oh my god that's horrible oh my god that's crazy what happened he was decapitated how crazy would that be if you <laughs> Dude, found out i was decapitated, yeah um, i don't think i'd be like oh what a sick way to die bro it's no like, i don't mean i, would I don't mean like, like, like i don't mean like it's cool in that way i mean like it's cool in like a you're doing something different in a movie. Like, like most people yeah, die. Like, oh, I found yeah. like a normal person would be like, oh, I found this woman. She had a heart attack. She passed away. I don't know what to do. Or like, oh, it looks like she stopped breathing, or she choked on something. Now the chandelier fell and crushed her head and obliterated it.
1: Yeah, which is a wild That's way to crazy. go. That's crazy. But it also works of it just being such an insane, like common day thing, right? To walk underneath your chandelier under the lights in your house. then one day it just snaps and falls and kills you yeah certainly for Bo, who's already intensely anxious Mm -hmm. about everything like i'm sure that was just an awful new fear that got realized going back i want to talk about the phone call that he has with the mother the 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 the,
0: where he talks to her and has to tell her that he's not coming when he says he's not coming the silence that follows Mm -hmm. is crazy you just, you know, you've you've heard that silence. You've felt that silence before. <laughs> it's such a strong silence of just like sitting there knowing what she's going to say. And then like that follow-up of, of her like like pretending to be okay with it and being like, I understand. Like, what else can you do? You know, that's all right. I didn't, I don't know what else I expected. You know, what else can you do? And then him shifting because she's manipulating him into being like, oh, well, what should I do? What's the right thing? Should I get another flight? What should I do? What should I do? What should I do? I, I love watching that little the the manipulation of that phone call in one take is just fantastic. like Joaquin Phoenix is fantastic in that. And Patty mm-hmm. LuPone on the phone sells it very, very well. I just yeah, the whole dynamic between him and his mother
1: is crazy. Like it's it's crazy how well written it is. I thought it was great. Yeah, I do think it's notable that there are a lot of those long extended takes on just but I mean, they did it for that phone call for the one with the ups guy there's many other moments throughout the film where it's just and you're captivated. on him as he's yeah like going through these emotions and yes fantastic it is actor very captivating Joaquin phoenix is fantastic and we'll talk about like patty lupone as well later on because mm-hmm. she is just wow fantastic oh gosh, but she's amazing yeah in this moment like that phone call was well done just to see very clearly like this dynamic there and obviously like setting a stage of The way that she'll manipulate him and obviously, yeah, like it wasn't his fault. It's just these crazy occurrences that happened to him. But then he's low key being blamed for it and is now feeling guilty about it. And is going to try and do whatever he can to make up for it, but it'll never be enough. So, yeah, the way they set the stage there for their dynamic is well done. Um, But then, yeah, anything else with this section? It sort of ends with him running out. Again, yeah, after that, man, that's, like, hiding I like that on top scene of too, the ceiling. Yeah. The sweat dripping down. But again, like, R.S.R. has just these really effective, like, little moments. Like, even the thing of, like, someone slipping a note through the door to, like, say, hey, turn down the music when you're not playing any music. Like, yeah, just dude, the violence of the of last note, like, sliding all the way across to the bed and saying, so good. And yeah. it down. like, that was scary. It was. So, yeah, he just has those great, like, very specific little scenarios that... It does, yeah. The Just opening unsettled. sequence, this
0: opening like 30, 40 minutes does really grip you, for sure, mm-hmm. in the story. But I, I enjoyed it. I like the whole sequence of him being buck ass naked, running outside, <laughs> and then the cop being like, Don't make me do this. Don't make me do this. Freeze. Freeze. This like that that theme of continuing it going of like people blaming Bo for things that aren't his fault. Like he's not moving. He's frozen. He's doing what mm-hmm. the cop wants. But the cop's like, Don't make me do this. You're making me do this. You are making me do this. Just that, I just love pushing that forward and setting that up and pushing it forward throughout the rest of the movie. And then him running away. <laughs> and then just getting hit buck-ass naked.
1: Exactly, Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Um, But yeah, I thought that was definitely for me. That was the best segment. Uh, the next one of him being a patient, slash a house guest as he's getting tended to by the person who hit him. Um, and so, yeah, then he becomes sort of this weird adoptive replacement son in this family that lost their son to, uh, who, you know, was in the military and got killed in action. Yeah. Um, I love when she's describing to him what happened in the
0: accident and he looks at his wound she goes, yeah, you, you got lightly stabbed and it cuts back to the birthday guy
1: going stab, stab, stab. (laughs) And it cuts back to him and he goes, what? Yeah. That one, that was really good. The other moment that was like super sad as well, when he was, crying about what had happened with his mom and she's trying to reassure me like oh it was just a dream like it was a bad dream Mm i was like dang (sighs) Once again, walking me great acting out of that point and And then he
0: has the one of my favorite shots in the movies i'm sitting outside on the phone trying to figure out if it was real or not and in the background jeeves is just having like a ptsd episode and they're trying to like calm him down and catch him and he's just running around behind him Mm -hmm. i think it's so funny
1: so yeah, ultimately I think this part was definitely a step down. Like there were elements to it that I thought were compelling, like the idea of the sister being very jealous of this new person coming in and sort of being accepted as like this new child in the family. Mm-hmm. Um and then so she's just like constantly pissed about it and so over the top in her like anger and jealousy. And then whatever was going on with the amy ryan character trying to warn bow and then we have that one moment again like this particular uh like scenario of going through the tv and then seeing a camera feed and then being able to fast forward to like future so parts cool. of your life like i was like this is a very solid moment but i feel like it was surrounded by too much of trying to set the stage for it's like oh we're back in a somewhat normal mm-hmm. environment but there are just some weird things around every corner i felt it like went on too long for us to yeah. be really like none of us were buying the fact that this was like a normal family or normal couple or everything was going to be okay i feel like it got it, it took too long for us to get to the inevitable parts of everything falling know apart that they're employees for the mom too right yeah
0: yeah, so to me it was like the whole idea is he's being recorded and it's, this is going to be the evidence they use later on to incriminate his guilt and that's why yeah, Amy that was Ryan is, yeah. yeah, and she's like don't incriminate yourself and that, that just makes him even more anxious of like well what am I doing because he just never knows what he's doing wrong, he never understands and I, mm-hmm. to me it's always about just that feeling of guilt especially when you don't know what you're supposed to be guilty for just this overwhelming feeling of like, I I feel like it's my fault, but I don't know how, or people are saying it's my fault and I don't know how. And like carrying that through the movie and really like laying into that feeling just gets really, really heavy. And I enjoyed it. Like I enjoyed the way that Ari Aster uh, pushes that theme forward. I think I did see an interview with him where he said he wanted to make a movie just about a loser. And that's kind of what Bo is. He is just kind of a loser in the sense that he, he always feels guilt ridden and he always feels like it's his fault even when he doesn't know how it's his fault. And we, we, we get this perspective of like this exaggerated version of life where everybody is literally blaming him for things that aren't his fault. And I think the point is not to say that this is what real life is or that this is any kind of interpretation of real life, but this is what that feeling is of like walking around feeling like it's your fault. This is what it feels like when people say certain things Like it feels like it's this exaggerated in life, even if it really isn't. And I think putting an audience member into that feeling when they don't experience that feeling on a daily basis or they're not that kind of person who feels like that is a very different experience for someone to have and very odd. But I feel like as someone who I am a person who does not feel guilty about things that I don't think are my fault or I don't feel like everything's my fault. I don't have like like insecurities like that. I, I felt put into those shoes very well and I understand more like what that feeling is like for somebody to have and how horrible that is. And I think that is impressive to me. And I think this, this section here was if I had to cut down a section, it would be this section, like the, the patient house guest thing. I would probably cut this one down for sure. But it, to mm-hmm. me it was very effective in like showing that home life situation of him just try. He has one goal to get to his mother's funeral and he's trying to do that goal and that goal only, and trying to not be a nuisance and be as polite as possible. And even like step by step by step, everybody slowly just feels like he is a burden, and and like puts this weight on him that he's not trying to be. Especially when the daughter just chugs paint <laughs> and fucking yeah. kills herself. That was crazy. And then and then Amy Ryan goes crazy and six, six jeeves on him. That's just it's crazy, like just that feeling of guilt is crazy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He's blamed for her death when it's not even his fault.
1: Yeah, which that one, I mean, that's uh like common thing that you see happen in films of like oh being blamed for the death because you were in the room, and then so obviously they're gonna try and connect the dots that way. So I mean, yeah, it was a crazy moment, like oh her drinking paint, but that I don't think was the strongest point of like oh being blamed for things that weren't. Even your fault. I thought that phone call. I think it's just a continuation. I mean, I agree, but because it's a phone call for sure was so, better. Yeah, so common in film. It's like first that off, hit, I like that, that he phone calls call him. Hit. I love the the pit where he goes. We calls him Doctor
0: Cohen, and then Richard Kind goes. I'm not a doctor. I'm a lawyer. Stop calling me Doctor Cohen. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. I just thought that was funny. Like, why? Why would he call him Doctor Cohen? And then he's
1: credited as Doctor Cohen in the movie. And I, <laughs> I don't fucking know why. Who knows? I mean, maybe that's one of those things of like the way Bo is seeing it. Maybe it is reality. Maybe it's not either way. For whatever reason, the other person just doesn't want him to let him see it that way. I like that every time he makes a
0: phone call and someone doesn't pick up, like he gets their voicemail. The way that they leave the voicemail makes it feel like it's a burden that he he was calling in the first place. Like the, the way they say it. Like uh, Richard Kind does it when he's Dr. Cohen, and then the therapist does it too when he doesn't pick up the phone. Like it's just the way they leave their their like it's their uh, caller thing, where it's like just leave it at the tone. It just mm-hmm. seems like they're burdened by the fact that they got called in the first place, even though they aren't even there answering the phone call. Like just little things like that, I like added in. I liked like the phone call he has with Richard Kind, where Richard Kind is like, "We've been waiting for three days." where are you it was her one wish for you to be here when she gets buried and we can't do it without you hurry up you're embarrassing everybody like that like putting that on him and he's like well, and we know that he was just in a car accident like we are we are with him through all of this and we see how none of this is his fault and we can see where everybody's blaming him and and it's it's crazy
1: it's crazy how good it is to me to me Yes. Like effective. I think, yeah, like those moments and again, yeah, the whole film is constructed around trying to have the audience be in the shoes of someone who has this intense anxiety and is very guilt ridden about things that, yeah, as you said, aren't his fault. The idea though of like it being about a loser. I know that that comment really strikes true just because. I mean, Bo is a victim more than anything. He's not like a loser. He's just constantly getting pulled around in these different directions against his will by people that are either trying to manipulate him or are part of some like massive conspiracy to manipulate him alongside the mother, like all these people that are employed. I don't by know, man, mother.
0: he went 60 years without coming. That's pretty beta behavior. <laughs> he was in 60, <laughs> 50 something. I don't know. How old do you think he is? How old is
1: Joaquin Phoenix? I don't know. I thought they said he was born in 1975. Oh, sure. So he's not 50. Fifty so, years without coming—it's pretty beta behavior. <laughs> <laughs> is that is that what they're saying? Because they said the whole thing of like he has to, he can't finish, and he can't lose his virginity or whatever. Because the whole come. hereditary he, thing—if he comes, if he, his he heart not come will. either. That was the whole point. I thought it was just like, oh, you can't like be with a woman. The story that, like-
0: the story that the mother tells is that he finished inside of her, and him finishing gave him a heart like it triggered his heart murmur that killed him and so now Bo has this horrible fear that if he comes or if he finishes at all the heart murmur that he technically also has because she says it's genetic in him too will trigger and he'll have a heart attack and and she said well his father died the same way and his father before him died the same way and we thought we'd be different but he wasn't so you can't do this because then you will die
1: right yeah I took it more of like don't do it with a woman like with a partner since i mean with balls that big there's no way he was coming bro (laughs) i mean i agree i was just thinking i thought it was more of that angle of like she wants to remain like the most important woman in his life and doesn't want him going off with anyone else so she's gonna say this fib so Mm -hmm. that he'll never go off and like have a new most important woman in his life which would be his like spouse or whatever i didn't realize it was you cannot come ever so that he's just got the most swollen biggest (laughs) blue balls ever
0: i think maybe Um, that was her intention was to say you know don't go off with a girl so that you could be with me forever and that i could take care of you like maybe that was her intention but Bo, being the anxiety character that he is took it as i just can't come and that like negatively affected him as like a person the fact that he never came i think so
1: interesting interesting I mean, I mean, there's no
0: person alive that goes their entire life without coming. We can only imagine what that person would be like.
1: Well, it's also like you would, there's like wet dreams and things like that. Like the body will discharge it at some point. So there is no scenario where someone could actually not come for 40 years or whatever it is. Maybe he has a wet
0: dream and he's like, phew, I made it through this one, but I can't do it intentionally. You know? Right. I going, go, still going 40 something years out intentionally coming i wonder what that like we don't know what that does to a person
1: sure yeah I don't know. that part of it just isn't as compelling to me i don't know why but i think it's hilarious I think it's an interesting like angle to put in there of like the dude just needs to come he just needs to release it. but it's he has like, so know, much it's... anxiety he just needs to let it go
0: right like, very physically he just needs to come <laughs> uh-huh To me, that's how I took it, is that this dude has so much anxiety and so many problems, so much tension in his life. He literally just needs to fucking come and just let it go.
1: (laughs) That's how I took it. Mm -hmm. I think it's a good lesson. I think the way that it's a parallel for like he was being raised and the way that the mother was like constantly trying to be overbearing had stagnated him in life. And then once he was able to (laughs) finally come, he realized, oh, like. There wasn't a need to be so fearful all this time. Like if this one was something that was untrue, that I was being fed, uh, but it actually turned out okay, what are all the other things that I'm like extremely scared about and Mm -hmm. anxious about that also aren't as bad as they seem and that I can, you know, live my life. And that seems like that was what part of the play was all about of like this what if scenario. Although I will say... (laughs) This part is the one that makes the least sense to me just because it was the one that I definitely disengaged with. Really? You didn't like the animation? I loved that part. That part had me. It was the stuff surrounding. It was like when he first goes into the forest and is like being shown around. These like, I think I was okay with it because
0: I think I was okay with it
1: because that part was so
0: brief. Like I feel like from the moment he meets the pregnant woman to the moment the animation starts is maybe like five minutes. I could get through it. Like if it had been as long as like the patient house guest thing, it would have been too long. But, and then immediately after you finish all that animation stuff and like he cries with his fake sons and then he realizes he could never have fake sons because he's never been with a woman. And then he cries over that. It just goes into the action of Jeeves showing up and blowing people up, which is cool and puts me right. back into it. I do remember. The... I, I enjoyed the forest
1: <laughs> and the play sequence more than the patient house guest sequence yeah i do again the the animation stuff goes into like carol zayman michelle Gondry stuff like that was great like using those multimodal elements animation stuff being added in i thought that was really really solid the narration Um, was fantastic
0: i feel like the thing i liked about it so much was that she's like detailing this these are the steps of the life you will lead And she's being so specific about everything. And I really liked like just how specific it was. It's like this lack of control over his life. Like this will happen. Then this will happen. Then this will happen. You will come across a village. You will meet these villagers. You will live your life. You will have enough money to buy food, but you will decide to go see a theater instead. Like just very specific things of like, you don't have this much control over your life and you will go through it. And this is just the life you will live. And this is it because he has trouble with control throughout the whole movie. Like he has no control. Everything's Mm -hmm. happening just around him, everything being blamed at him without his control. And so like to, to get him to see this life that he could live as this like farmer villager guy who has like a purpose. But even at that point, he has such little control over what happens next but he's still like content in his life. I think it's
1: interesting. Mm -hmm. But I mean, yeah, that at least that's part of what I took it as of if he wasn't being so fearful of like the, what Mm -hmm. his mother had instilled in him and like not being able to come or whatnot, he would find a woman and be able to start a family. He still loses it in that like little story. Mm -hmm. Then he's able to at least come back and find the children again, his sons, um, so it is compelling at least that like in that scenario of like oh what if he wasn't so stagnated by what his mother did mm-hmm. he still doesn't have like a fully happy story since they also never found the wife right like the sons were like oh where is mom with you and he's like yeah mom's not with you so like they still lose out on part of that family but he's
0: so fearful because he can't because he's afraid of all these things that have been in by his mother and he can't make choices like he he asks his mom what should i do he asks uh roger and whatever her name is what he should do like because he doesn't know what to do it and he can't make a choice on his own like literally when roger says do you want to go today or do you want to go tomorrow he just stays silent and roger Mm -hmm. makes the choice for him because he just can't choose anything and then he sees this life he lives like with the lack of fear being put into him because he breaks free he literally physically breaks free from those chains and even in this life there is no control you could possibly have like things will still happen out of your control that are similar to the life you're leading now but even then you're more content because you're not afraid like it's accepting that you don't have control and being okay with that rather than being afraid of it and i like that yeah
1: um after that was the the funeral and the whole thing with (laughs) elaine and then the mom so all that confrontation going down i'm excited for this part (laughs) so Let's just talk about the stuff with Elaine, her coming back. I mean, I forget where exactly it was, but those flashbacks to the cruise or the ship that they were on. That was in uh, the patient sequence. Yeah. So we get to see him, you know, having that bond with Elaine and then her busting into the room and being like, I'm being taken away. But wait for me. Wait for me. And then giving some photo that he's held on to ever since. Um, and then, yeah. Do you think that was a part of the mother's ploy to keep him
0: from being with a woman to create this idol figure of this girl that wants to be with him and demands that
1: he waits for her? You think no? You think even back then she, she worked Things like him. that? Yeah. I mean, yeah, but that'd be wild—employing a child actor to make your son fall in love with him. But well, that's intense. Well, let's talk about like the actual plot
0: here outside of all the medical metaphorical stuff when he gets to the house she owns this company mw which is just mona wasserman it's just her fucking name and they make the security systems that have been monitoring everything they make the housing unit that he lives in they make the medication that he takes and they there it's like every part of his life is his mother in mm-hmm. some way or another, I feel like the idea is that every person that he's met is also some way connected to the mother because because she is just controlling everything right. at this point, and he has no control in any sense. And then, like his therapist is just another employee of his mother. For a while, I thought they were robots because like Elaine dies and she's frozen there, and I was like, oh, are they all just like robots?
1: Mm-hmm. But no, she just dies. Yeah, so what actually happened with <laughs> with her? becoming like a statue is it that he came so hard well i lit. i thought which this would have been hilarious if they did that but i thought because (laughs) he would have had so much come inside of him i thought when he did release she was going to pop off of like i thought she was gonna like shoot off yeah that would have been hilarious it would have been so funny but no like that happens and then she keeps going because she wants to and then she gets frozen at some point so I don't know what like the actual like logical reason would be for that if (laughs) she had a heart murmur (laughs) (laughs) but yeah I I don't know it would make her so like fully stiff immediately so I don't know if the mom had given her something or off screen I don't know she got hit by a dart or something that like took her out but yeah that's one of those currently unexplained things but I think Even back then, like when he was a boy to be like having everything be so controlled and employing like this random girl to try and make him fall in love. And then I I just think I don't know how it would connect because would you be able to anticipate that Bo would be hung up on this one girl for all of his life for 40 years? Like that seems like. Mm-hmm. Such a wild master plan that I don't know if I find that as compelling as her seeing his attraction to her and then like building her up even more, being like, oh, she's this great girl, like, well, uh, someone like that, you're gonna have to match their energy, things like that, of just building her up. And then when she does get taken away, because yeah, I, I don't see how those dots could connect of her being able to mastermind his attraction to Elaine and then being hung up on her for like the rest of his life. I think it is a bit more compelling that it's just something that happened in his life. And later on she comes back into his life because of the mother. And so once again, it's like, okay, so the mother is always there, always watching, always controlling his life. Do you think it's just a coincidence that she worked for the mom? I, think that it probably is intentional that like she's working for the mom and it's all part of like the master plan since everything else is the mom's doing but for me i think it would be more compelling if there's at least some sliver of like an organic interaction that Bo had outside of the mother's influence that later comes back around and isn't entirely because of the mom like there should i feel like be some things in his life that aren't controlled by the mom and nonetheless still are like going wrong or negatively impacting him. But I do think, I mean, it's probably more logical with how everything else has gone that she is in some way tied to the mom's master plan. Yeah,
0: perhaps. And then we get the, the bit where they carry off Elaine cause she's in rigor mortis after fucking dying or whatever. And then Patty LaPone just fucking kills it delivers so hard like so scary so ruthless so mean the therapist is there he he, they're just laughing at at Bo I mean they're playing his tapes she's offended by the things he's saying which is supposed to be private like kept in private
1: Mm -hmm.
0: the idea of her like being offended of these honest feelings that he's having which aren't even like that terrible is crazy and then and then she takes him into the attic (laughs) and it's a giant dick
1: his dad is a giant dick yeah. That was wild. I just wanna go back for a second to the therapist thing. Yes. Cause wow, this is gonna definitely mess some people up, I feel like, of going to the therapist, which again is supposed to be like confidential, it's supposed to be a place where you can be honest and open about things going on in your life and your feelings. And even earlier in the film when the therapist was saying to him, like, Do you wish your mother was dead? Being like, Oh, like that doesn't make you an awful person for thinking that, like you can sometimes want these things to happen and not want them to happen they can coexist which knowing that he's on the payroll seems like it was just another way for him to prompt Bo to be like yeah i do want my mom dead so she could then be like see this is how awful he is um but like just that idea of like the people that you need to go to your therapist to talk about and process who they are and what they've done in your life but then they're actually listening in on you during your therapy sessions. It's horrible. Like dang that some people are gonna need a therapist visit to talk about that fear. Cause that's crazy. Cause I, yeah. I mean, I don't have that fear. I don't I'm not in therapy or anything like that. But I can just see like the people that need to have that outlet now thinking like, Oh no, what if in the worst possible scenario it gets out? Like that is a really again, a lot of anxieties and fears that Ari Aster touches on in the film are well done and this is one that I think Mm -hmm. is really well executed yeah like that was crazy the therapist therapist was in on it oh yeah it's hard rough
0: now he gets taken up into the attic and then she has the line of like you idiot that wasn't a dream it was a memory that shit I saw coming like I feel like the second I saw like the whole memory play out I was like oh that's something he's remembering it's not really a dream right and i don't really understand the purpose of like having like a second bow like his his twin brother i suppose
1: is stuck up there i don't really yeah i don't know if that was meant to be taken literally or it was just another a metaphor metaphor of like oh he's always been stuck in the attic because again like his mom's been imprisoning him basically and like stagnating him all that stuff i, I don't know it's just one of those yeah. things it's like that was okay. one of those
0: things that didn't completely land for me was like the idea of like a second hit being up there i wasn't like uh, the dick being up there was awesome <laughs> but the second bow was just kind of like what's what's really the what is what are you trying to say with that what is right. the point of that and it didn't just it just didn't stick the landing for me let's talk about the dick let's talk about <laughs> i feel like we talked about the dick i want like to talk lot. about the dick you more say about the dick <laughs> i have a lot to say about the dick what were your initial reactions when you saw the dick for the first time? When if he first
1: shines the light on the whole thing? Again, I wasn't too surprised by there being a giant penis monster. It didn't make me laugh. It wasn't, like, a scary thing. Because it's not like they hold on the it being in shadow too often. Yeah, no. Um, like, they revealed it pretty quickly. And then it's just there. And it's, like, it's a goofy penis monster, wow. like, crying out. So, I'm like, going, it's Whoa. there. Like, you... <laughs> you immediately know what it's saying like the dad's a dick. It's just a very obvious clear like metaphor that's meant to be kind of funny. I guess could what be and as? like an initial reaction could be spooky again if they held in shadow longer and you're like trying to figure out what is that like two massive orbs and then something <laughs> rising out from them. But I what don't do you know what it is what the penis monster yeah like what do you think it means that his father is a giant penis that he's a dick like it's just a thing of something probably went down of dad wasn't good to the mother so the mother left and it's one of those things where it's like oh she just tells the kid that yeah the dad well i guess she story-wise the tells him, he that, he died. A dick? but the truth is just like yeah he was some awful person and so because of that she wanted to like have more not authority i guess kind of control but just like have that bond with Bo, right who's now the most like important person in her life and so she doesn't want to lose him so she's going to just overbearingly try and control every aspect of him and care for him so that she doesn't lose him too like she lost mm-hmm. the Venus monster who yeah probably was the dad probably walked out on her or something like that. That's probably more I realistic. I suppose
0: I like that more. I think the thing I saw when I saw it was like the idea of like an absent father is always considered like they always call it a sperm donor. <laughs> and so I thought it'd be funny if the sperm donor was just a big dick. So it's the only thing he could do is donate sperm. <laughs> That'd be. Funny. But I suppose yours is, is makes more sense and is better. And I think thinking about it, perhaps Bo being in the attic, like the second Bo is is like representing this is the alternative Bo, who hasn't grown up knowing that who his father really was and look at how deprived he is for knowing the truth look at how like shallow and hollow he is and like skinny and deformed like look what the truth has done to him learning something so harsh at such a young age perhaps hiding the truth was the right thing to do I don't know, but then there are other faults that the mother does that made the other uh, the Arbo like wrong in his own way. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's too many layers to peel back at once in such a short scene that I feel like it could have been either expanded upon or perhaps he's just trying to hit too many notes all at once in this movie. Right. I feel like maybe hitting one or two as opposed to like trying to get all ten might be <laughs> might have been might have worked better, and he could have cut more. He's probably just biting off more than he could chew here right but still i think he is like just touching on a lot of like this trauma that a lot of people experience with their parents of like feeling guilty for that and i think that is the main theme and that's the one that i enjoy the most because it's touched upon the most and it's done the best Mm -hmm. i enjoy that a lot then he kills his mom
1: (laughs) yeah hardcore Which, why, what was the thing, like the fish tank thing that she fell into? I don't know. Was like what was the point of that? I don't know what the point of that one was. Just something for her to fall into, I guess. Yeah, Which but everything else, I don't know. Feels like it has purpose, but it's like, because yeah, everything that is done in this film like should tie in some way to some like, larger metaphor. Yeah. I didn't see what that one was connecting to. But yeah, that happens, and then he flees, and he's on a boat, and he's riding through. But then, he suddenly finds himself
0: he's at peace he is on the water he has killed his mother and he's found some semblance of like wholeness he passes through this large cave opening metaphorically passing through another birth canal like in the beginning of the movie Mm -hmm. and being reborn as this new person
1: and then boom the lights cut on and the trial begins yeah you and i are big fans of trials Uh, in any form so this one Had me engaged once again. I I enjoyed this one. I was so waiting for the credits to roll as he was going through that like uh, cave and then came out on the other side. And I was like, cool, let's get those credits rolling. And then this happened. I was like, oh, God. But it was a trial. So I was like, nice. I'm back in. So I thought it was just compelling. Again, it's like, was this truly necessary? I guess maybe what he's saying is like even after you're removed from like the person that is. Stagnated you or instilled all these like great fears and whatnot. Your guilt, you the guilt of abandoning them will still swallow you whole. Exactly. Like yeah, even when you leave, which is probably the best thing, and you're out of their orbit, you still feel guilty because even the act of like abandoning them, which is really just freeing yourself, you know, is going to be taken by them as another sign of your inadequacy Mm -hmm. and your lack of care for them. So. But then I mean, they have
0: this giant projector in the center of the ring that is, is showing all these things that have, like, gone on in his life, all the things that he feels guilty for. And then he tries to have this voice of, like, trying to fight back. And it's this defense attorney who's really far away, and he doesn't have a microphone, so he's really quiet, and he's trying his best to argue. And then halfway through, these people show up and just throw him off, and he just dies. So now he just has no voice, and he can't fight back, and he's trying really hard, and he's he's screaming at the top of his lungs. The boat is starting to blow up and he's just like please 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 like uh i did it for this i did it for that like he's trying to explain away like why you shouldn't feel guilty and just these these feelings of guilt are just too strong to fight back against like you just feel like it's your fault
1: i thought it was great yeah i thought it was solid this was one moment where i was like give us more of the examples like we only had two examples i, I would think have that loved came to see more. i would have loved like, i would have wanted to see cut, more yeah.
0: if they had cut 20 minutes from earlier in the movie i would have watched a three-hour
1: movie where those 20 minutes are put back in this section of just a 20-minute trial great yeah none of that i feel like an hour needed to go out of this film but i would have enjoyed I think half time an hour here. gone would have been enough a two and a half hour movie would have been tight enough for me yeah i feel like i don't know there were definitely moments where it could have been trimmed. I wanted the same. more Penis Monster. <laughs> you were a big fan of this Penis Monster. I think it's actually pretty great. <laughs> it's just a dick. It is indeed. Um, but yeah, I thought it was like the way this ended here of the Truman Show thing. Like the idea of it, again, I thought it was really well done. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, yeah, he just blows up in that boat. And then all the audience members that are in the, that like, I don't know, Truman Show Coliseum thing start leaving as the credits are rolling. And that's what we're left with. Which, not the most satisfying ending, but again, I suppose it is thematically resonant of like he fully gets eaten up and destroyed by the guilt that he's unable to escape even after quote-unquote mm-hmm. killing his mom like killing those demons so i don't know i mean it was it was an okay way to go out um any like- other last minute thoughts on bow is afraid i suppose if he had
0: created a better like plot like an actual plot to follow through the movie as opposed to like wacky sketches that he has to go through if it felt more like a journey and less like separated scenes I think it would have resonated more for you and definitely for me but all in all I still enjoyed it I thought the themes it touched on were very interesting I thought the filmmaking was excellent I thought the the creativeness of it was excellent I thought the adventure of it was excellent I just thought it didn't quite stick the landing like I think it was trying to. And if it had had like a more solid plot as opposed to leaning into more like experimental things, it might have hit harder. But I still enjoyed it. It reminds me a lot of. um, Well, not not quite, but like I felt this the same way about The Mountain by Jodorowsky, where like. Like it's cool and it does a lot of cool things and I'm enjoying watching it. But there's and there's a semblance of a plot for the characters to follow. But I wish the plot had been like a little bit stronger, a little bit sturdier to hit the point that's trying to hit. And I just feel like I don't think Ari Aster wanted to make too strong a point. I think he wanted it to be like a, a psychedelic, crazy adventure for this character to go on and not necessarily have a plot to to worry about. Like I think that was his intention and he did deliver that. Like that's what we got. It's just not. One hundred percent, my kind of movie. Yeah, though I, I th- did find a lot to like.
1: Indeed, yeah. I mean, like I said, I think there is a lot to admire about the film, even if all of it doesn't connect for you um, or deliver. It is fascinating that I mean, it's a polarizing movie. Mm-hmm. There are some people that just absolutely love it, like adore yeah. it, like oh some yeah, people putting it in their like top fifteen films of all time. That's crazy.
0: It'll and probably be in my top 10 for the year unless a bunch of other movies blow it out of the water, but
1: we'll see. But yeah, so I think it's it's just interesting that some people can get so much out of it and other people don't. And this is just one of those films that like, yeah, if it connects with you, if you probably have like a, a lot to relate to in terms of the like anxiety stuff or this type of dynamic with your mother, then yeah, maybe it's just like a flawless capturing of that idea and that's those sort of feelings and seeing it realized on screen in that way is so powerful that it just works like all of it connects all of it works whereas other people yeah maybe there was just that relatability factor isn't entirely there again it's still compelling to be able to see like being put in those shoes I think especially in that first segment like he is successful in that at least for me but the entire film I don't know if all of it does land and does work in creating that feeling Mm -hmm. um so yeah for me i can respect what was going on there again i hope rs is able to make more projects that are this weird and wacky and out there and that more projects from any filmmakers are able to take these huge swings like this Mm -hmm. but sometimes you strike out sometimes you hit the home run For me, this is more of the strikeout. But for some people, it absolutely is a home run. So I think it's great that the film can get such different reactions in that way. So definitely worthwhile to go out and see and figure out if it is a home run for you. No, But yeah. Ryan, how many mega-sized testicles out of five (laughs) do you rate this movie? I'm giving this a 2.5. How many mega-sized testicles... Are you going to give it out of five?
0: I'm going to give it 3.5. Interesting.
1: I would have thought it was thought originally, slightly higher.
0: It was originally going to be a four when I first, when I was watching the, the whole movie I was watching, I was like, yeah, this is a four. Because I was thinking Hereditary and Midsommar are both four and a half. And the whole movie, I'm thinking this is just slightly less than just to me. So it's probably going to be a four. And then as we were talking about it the last hour and a, and a half or so, I just like, I just feel more of the flaws standing out, and to me, story is such a big thing, and I just know that if the story had been stronger, it would have stuck the landing so hard, and would have been amazing, because the filmmaking aspect of it is top-tier, incredible, mm-hmm. like phenomenal. He has that down to a T for sure, and I just wish the story had been a little bit more solid in order to stick that landing, for me at least, because I am a story-driven person. I'm sure there are people who don't need a story and care about the feeling of a film very much so. And they loved it. But to me, if if he's going to go as far as writing a little bit of a story and then attaching crazy things to it, go all the way and finish out that story so that it makes sense. Right. So that the the there are no plot holes, so that it's solid, and so that the story and the metaphorical aspects of it land on the same note. And so that dropped it down another half point to three and a half. But still, again, filmmaking aspects, masterpiece, phenomenal. Like it looks incredible. Uh, a lot of things stand out. It's very anxiety-inducing. A lot of it, especially the first section, like a lot of it is fantastic. I still enjoyed the movie. I'll probably watch it again. Uh,
1: I yeah, I don't it. know if I'm, I'm gonna still... have to watch this again i understand yes. your presentation, not just that but it is also i mean it is a lot it's of a movie but and the a lot of, content, yeah. of it is intense so yeah but yeah that's rare that through talking about a film it gets downgraded in the rating yeah. rather than boosted yeah but usually i'm a booster but i mean this film was just kind of like i guess you pointed out a lot of the flaws
0: and i kind of talked myself into a lot of the flaws and so i just it felt wrong to give it a full four
1: mm. gotcha but yeah, still a positive ranking from you. I mean, I still recommend it. Um, yeah, but yeah. You should watch it at least once for sure. I'm looking forward to what he has next. Oh, uh, me too. And then also, I'm looking forward to everything he makes. You can listen to our director's analysis on oh, Ari yeah. Aster from many years ago. Oh, so many. I think pre-pandemic, or maybe it was right during the early part of it. We Probably. had an Ari Aster director's analysis. We talked talking about his first two films. So go and revisit that. And it'll be interesting to see yeah, if you can connect some of the themes and stylistic choices that he makes um, or that we recognize him making in those films and see what carried over to this one. But yeah, yeah. that's our discussion on Bo is Afraid.
0: Indeed. That's all the time we have. If you'd like to give your thoughts on the show, you can email us at the boxoffice show pod at gmail.com.
1: Our main title theme for the show is Sundown by Joseph McDade.
0: If you like the show, please give us five stars on whatever podcast app you're listening to and be sure to tune in next week for bigger.